Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. More than 10,000 Americans voted for the grocery retailers that they favored when they looked to save money. The winners, according to BrandSpark's most trusted awards, are Aldi, HEB, and Walmart. There are actually eight categories that go beyond affordability. Store brands. Aldi was number one. In four categories, um, HEB led the lead. And for fresh produce, quality fresh foods, and enjoyable in-store experience. Interesting that the four that they topped are the four most important to shoppers today. Well done, HEB. Today, a new twist on saving money on eggs. Finally, a step to stop organic labeling fraud. Why you should pass on that next office party cake. Why veganism might not be as easy as we all thought and the repercussions from dry January. On the bullseye, why the ratings of food need to stop. Let's get started. So Sally, let's talk about eggs. Eggs are in the news practically every day, um, but now there's a new service out there um, that, that's trying to save people money on eggs. It's called Rented Chicken. What it, <laughs> tell, tell me about this. It's a little bit more of a commitment than going to the supermarket and buying eggs, that's for sure. But um, basically what you can do, this company is in Los Angeles and they have um, this, are offering this opportunity for you to rent um, a chicken coop, comes with two or three hens, comes with uh, seven fertile eggs, a mini incubator. They, de they deliver it, they set it up, they offer the lighting that you need to examine the eggs, and they, um, and they give you um, a guide on how to take care of the chickens. So uh, what do you think, Phil? <laughs> well, you know, I, I go back to a story that we did a few years ago about um, a family that had chickens in their backyard in Long Island. And while it was approved by, you know, the city, um, as far as, you know, having the right permits and so on, the neighbors um, were up in arms uh, because the chickens um, and, and hens were making a lot of noise. Uh, you've obviously got the feces to deal with. I think, to be honest with you, I don't think it's a great idea. I wouldn't like to see everybody have you know, their own chickens in their own backyards. Uh, the good news is um, that you could rent it for two, you can rent two to four egg producing hens for up to six months. Um, the it, it costs $575 for a six month rental for two. Um, and also what's so interesting on average, two chickens will produce eight to 14 eggs per week. Four will produce 16 to 28 eggs Per week, um, there's also a regulation here in Los Angeles that says the that the chicken coop must be 35 feet from a neighboring structure and 100 feet if you have a rooster. Obviously, that's because of the noise. Mm -hmm. um, also, what we're noticing here in California is that um, the farmers markets, which are prolific here, are selling a lot of eggs. The average eggs uh, right now in California, even though um, national average is about $3.50. Here in California, they're up to about seven bucks. So a lot of these um, farmers market people are selling eggs. Keep in mind that they're not refrigerated um, and eggs uh, should be re kept refrigerated. 
and um, they're selling them for two to three dollars a dozen less. Um, the other thing that's going on in California, which I find hysterical, the biggest smuggling that's going on now over the Mexican border is about eggs. Uh, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials are reporting a major spike in people bringing eggs into the country illegally from Mexico. You're not allowed to do that, by the way, by law. You can't bring in poultry. You can't bring in meat. You can't bring in eggs, but people are still doing it. A 30-count carton of eggs in Juarez, Mexico, uh, sells for $3.40. Um, so you get a lot more eggs for a lot less price. Um, according to this report, uh, this is from NPR, um, just a dozen eggs in California are now priced as high as $7.37 if you get caught. So don't take eggs over the border. If you can get caught, no, you know, they're going to steal them from, not going to steal them. They're going to confiscate them from you, but um, you can get fined $300, but by law, you can get a fine of up to $10,000. So you just don't want to bring in those eggs, um, no matter what they say. Uh, but we've got some good news as it relates to organics. Um, new regulations are being put in place uh, to hopefully get rid of some organic fraud that we've seen over the past few years, especially when it comes to imported products. Uh, what's that about, Sally? Well, Phil, um, apparently uh, there th this is set to be implemented in 2024, and it is the first time that um, regulations like this, aggressive regulations, have been implemented in about 20 years. So that's a long time that we've been buying um, organic foods and um, nothing has really changed as far as those regulations. Um, but now what they want to do is they want to stop fraud. Um, a lot of this fraud is coming from uh, seeds and grains that are used um, to feed livestock, um, meat that is raised to be organic or, or, you know, eggs that are raised to be organic eggs. And this is very important to consumers that they um, feel like they can trust that the product they are buying truly is organic. So there's going to be some new regulations that are going to require these operations to improve their record keeping. There's going to be unannounced um, inspections, apparently, and the government will be training agents to handle that. Yeah, I think it's great because especially as organics are so much more expensive, um, people not to get ripped off. But the only problem that I that I take issue with with this USDA rule, um, I think it's great. I think it's important. But they're only saying that they're going to be able to do spot unannounced inspections for five percent of the operations every year. So five percent of the operations being inspected. I think we're still going to have a lot of people who want to cheat. Yes, that is a very small number. And I think it's really important for these brands that um, have organic products to be communicating to their consumers, you know, what their story is, where their food is coming from, where it is made, how it is made, so that consumers can feel comfortable buying, trusting their brand. And, you know, it wasn't too long ago that we had some controversy, I believe, at Whole Foods over, you know, whether something was organic or whether it was actually cage free 
or, you know, th that that they were actually selling things in the store that uh, consumers realized um, were not, they weren't being transparent about how where the foods came from. So it's very, very important that consumers build this trust with the brands that they buy from. You know, you, you're bringing up something that I meant to bring up on the previous story about eggs, but I got an email this morning from someone um, who is taking issue with Kroger. Um, what they're doing is they're saying, you know, Kroger has not met its promise to go all cage free uh, by 20, I guess it was 2022 or 2023. Um, and they're really taking issue with it and, and, you know, contemplating having a lawsuit. Hey, you know something? Kroger and every other retailer should be offering all kinds of eggs, whether it be free range, whether it's cage free, whether it's conventional eggs. And the reason for that, especially as these prices are going through the roof, is let's let's not forget that cage free is nonsense. Cage free just means having about a square foot of space that a chicken can turn or a hen can turn around in. Um, it doesn't mean that they're happy go lucky chickens. So I think, you know, what, what we really need is clarity, as you point out, whether it's on organics or cage free or anything. And in the bullseye, we're going to talk a lot about that. But there's a new uh, report uh, from the Food Standards Agency that comes out of England about why we might want to keep away from that cake at um, at office parties. What's up with that? I like cake. Um, <laughs> I do too. I love cake. Okay. It's the only reason I go to weddings. <laughs> um, but but yeah, there 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 are two different sides to this story and uh, two different opinions here from from food experts and um, doctors and and you know one side is is that bringing cake in uh, bringing sweets in for special occasions now isn't so special anymore that they're just they're happening all the time. I guess if you have a big office and you have birthdays being celebrated all the time or anniversaries or special occasions, then that cake is constantly coming in. And the theory. Is is, is that um, that it's much like smoking at the office that you are actually um, you're doing something um, that is not supportive for your environment. Now, on the other side, there are other experts that feel that um, that we need to um, rely on our power of choice and that, you know, if someone wants to bring cake into the office, then you have free will to choose to abstain from that dessert. But here's the issue, and I've been in this circumstance, you know, recently where somebody brings in cake and you don't want it um, mm -hmm. for, for whatever reason. And the look on their face, you know, almost makes you want to cry and, and just eat the cake just so that they don't feel bad. So we've got that whole guilt feeling going on, too. And, you know, how I guess the question is, how do you properly communicate? when somebody brings in a cake or an ice cream cake to, for an office event that just says, hey, I'm on a diet, I just don't want it, I just don't want the calories, whatever. And I think that that's probably the biggest problem and the biggest situation that we've got um, in, in dealing with this. Uh, we know that if people don't normally eat cake and somebody has cake or cookies in the office, 
people will nibble on them. We saw, you know, at Google and a lot of these other tech companies that were giving out free food that you'd have people, you know, eating just because it was there uh, versus that they were actually hungry or needed the nourishment. And in many cases, they actually gained weight. Um, so we have to be smart about this as well. And um, it's it's really about that communication. Talking about communication, let's talk about um, veganism. You know, it's veganary, uh, meaning go vegan for January. We're seeing that around the world. Um, it started in London a number of years ago. It's just gained more traction as we go. But some of the latest reports um, that are that are taking place say that you know it's really hard to be a vegan. Uh, less than three percent of Americans are vegan uh, by the by the strict definition of vegan. Why is it so hard to to be a vegan? And and you were a vegan for a number of years. Yes, um, I, I was on a vegan diet for three years, um, living in Los Angeles at the time, which was a much easier place to be a vegan um, than where I am now in Tennessee. Um, but the challenges that arise in, in being vegan, you know, number one, um, you completely overhaul your diet. And um, so you're restricting yourself from things that you are used to, foods that you love, um, and then you're looking for replacements for those. And oftentimes those foods, um, those vegan foods that are in our supermarket or in restaurants, they are more expensive. So um, it can be it can be quite expensive to follow a very strict vegan diet. Um, and then there's also just your environment, you know, where you are in the country, who you're around, you know, um, what sort of circumstances you're in that can make it difficult for you to follow a vegan diet. And also, let's not forget that there's a lot of animal products um, that go into a lot of other foods yes. that normally we might not think about. Uh, so, for example, I have a very vivid memory of this goes back probably um, 40 plus years, more than 40 years, uh, probably close to 45 years that my dad was selling cheese to the then wholesaler uh, before it became a retailer, Airwan, uh, which mm -hmm. was for the natural foods industry. And what they wanted is they wanted cheese that, you know, did not have animal rennet. Now, in order to have to create cheese, you need what's called a starter um, and bacteria. And that usually came from, you know, animal intestines. And my father was, you know, um, searching high and low. And finally, he came up with an artificial rennet that could produce cheese that would meet Erwan specs. So it's not as easy as people think. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I think what Veganary does and a lot of these other programs do is they try to give us a balance um, that, you know, you can still eat meat, you can still eat poultry, uh, but just eat more vegetables and smaller portions of that meat. And you're probably, um, unless it's for ethical concerns that, that you're not going to want to eat meat, uh, you're probably going to win as it relates to your diet and being able to to do it. Yes, I think I think that's that's spot on, Phil. And the point of this campaign um, isn't necessarily to to um, to 
to encourage commitment to a vegan diet year round for um, for everyone. It isn't for everyone, but if um, if a lot of us started eating less meat, then we could po quite possibly be a healthier population, and we would also serve our environment. And and also, there's some brands that are capitalizing on this. Obviously, mm -hmm. Cauliflower, Do, and Future Farm is mm -hmm. doing it. Uh, but also, what I love is Future Farm, um, and they're located in the UK, have really jumped on this. And what they've done is they've um, really capitalized um, for veganary on the Royal Brothers feud. And they're putting up billboards. Um, they, they put up billboards, uh, one that you, you know, what you found uh, that poked fun at the royal family food, not only helping people to pay attention to the brand, but also gives Future Form the opportunity to show off its brand personality, having nothing to do with veganism, uh, <laughs> but just making fun of, of the two brothers feud and using that as a way to get their brand out there. I think it's sort of like a cheap shot, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, but um, but hey, you know, um, the brothers are playing it out in the public forum. So, you know, good for future farm. Um, talking about, um, you know, stopping um, eating meat for January. Also, people are looking at dry January um, as a way to stop drinking. We've talked about that before. But a new report has just come out saying that health experts say that those who are trying to curb their drinking or stay sober for dry January may find it helpful to hold an alcohol-free mimosa or faux Mai Tai when they socialize. However, if you've got severe alcohol use disorder, which I didn't even know was a thing, uh, AUD, uh, defined by the National Institutes of Health, it might not help. Because what it's doing when you have one of these faux cocktails, um, it's it just reinforcing the whole cocktail thing versus, you know, getting you to stop. And if we look at the stats after uh, Veganary, uh, after dry January, sorry, uh, <laughs> people, uh, people go back to drinking. Yes, we, we haven't seen a huge, it having a huge impact on people quitting drinking. Um, and, you know, for the, the mocktail trend uh, is great for those who do not have um, a, a negative relationship with alcohol that is bad for them. Um, it's also great for Gen Z, this generation that's growing up that really isn't into drinking as much, but they like to go out and socialize. So mocktails can be fun. Um, but we do have 6% um, of adults in the US, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, 6% have an alcohol use disorder. And during the pandemic, we saw alcohol-related deaths go higher than they ever have been before. So um, it is a different, it is a different situation for those who are dealing with that. And you know, the other thing, Phil, is when we think about these mocktails as well, as well, is um, if you are going with the mocktail and you're going with the mocktail because you think, oh, I don't want as much sugar, the alcohol is giving me too much sugar, you might be getting more sugar in that mocktail because some of them um, without the alcohol, they're using other ingredients to make it taste good and to uh, make it exciting that are just adding a lot more sugar to it. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it, it comes back to something that 
we've talked about for years, it's all about balance. That's yes. all it is. Balance and, and reading labels. Uh, thanks, Sally. Appreciate your insights as always. And on today's Bullseye, we reached the tipping point on food nutrient profiling on January 14th, when Joe Rogan decided to post on Instagram his thoughts on what we should eat and how the latest work from the Tufts University Food Compass was, in his words, complete, undeniable, indefensible bullshit. He added, but yet this government-funded recommendation chart is here to let you know they suck at giving food advice, too. His words, not mine. Now, I'm not the first one to ask Rogan to keep his nose and mouth out of things he's neither knowledgeable about or qualified to talk and post about. Headlines make all the difference in our world today. And when Good Ranchers posted an article, quote, new government-funded food pyramids as Lucky Charms are healthier than steak, unquote, the internet lit up. Let's get some facts out there. First, there is no new food pyramid. None. It's not new. Second, no one, especially Tufts, is promoting Lucky Charms as part of a healthy diet. And most important, Good Ranchers is a company that sells meat, poultry, and seafood products online. This is a cheap shot, and one that I'm sure is designed to increase their sales, built on the idea that consumers are just plain stupid. The chart that Rogan and Good Ranchers are promoting was designed by Tufts to actually demonstrate how the current system that are used to rank the healthfulness of foods is in disrepair. Tufts is challenging the methodology behind their and other nutrient profiling systems, which is a good thing, and in my view, long overdue. Tufts issued a study, Limitations of the Food Compass Nutrient Profiling System. Truff's Food Compass evaluates foods across nine domains, which then assigns a score of the food between 1 and 100, 100 being the most healthful. According to their algorithm and nine domains, the chart did show a more healthful rating for the cereal than it did for ground beef. No question about that. But it was developed to make the point that we need a better nutrient profiling system. Watermelon and kale, according to the rankings, came out as the perfect foods. Both are healthy, no question, but the perfect nutrients? Far from it. What we as an industry need to do is to be smarter, to develop a better system and communicate it to consumers in a much clearer way. We have a real problem. According to latest NIH data, 30.7% of adults are overweight and 42.4% are obese. What we need is honest, clear communication that frankly can't be hijacked by people who want to make headlines and sales. The nutrition scientists who put the chart together using the food compass data contended the following in their paper. While a conceptually impressive effort, we propose that the chosen algorithm is not just well justified and produces results that fail to discriminate for common shortfall nutrients exaggerates the risk associated with animal source foods, and underestimates the risk associated with ultra-processed foods. We caution against the use of food compass in its current form to inform consumer choices, policies, programs, industry formulations, and investment decisions. I am not here to argue whether the food compass NPS is good or bad. 
What I am here to do is to state that all of the current nutrient profiling is based on a serious flaw, that all foods are the same. The average supermarket has over 50,000 products, or at least it did prior to the pandemic, and using one NPS to rate the 50-plus different categories of foods available is simply wrong. What Tufts and all the other NPS systems must do is to develop nutritional criteria based on each category. Clearly, breakfast cereal and meats need to be evaluated on different criteria, as do sodas and juices canned versus fresh soups or vegetables, vegetables versus toaster pastries, and so on. Until someone steps up and develops nutrient profiles by categories and stop using a catch-all profile, because it's just easier, we will continue to mislead and misinform our shoppers and do nothing to help them choose better foods. The Lemper Report is all about inspiring ideas, making our industry think, and challenging each other. Let's think about being the shopper and how we can bring our supermarkets and our restaurants closer to meet their needs. I hope you'll come back to join us on next week's installment of the Lemper Report Live, when we focus on the biggest and best insights and the things that really matter. Be sure to visit supermarketguru.com for the latest marketing analysis, issues, and trends. And don't forget to join us right back here next Monday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern for more on the Lemper Report Live.